I don't think our, the message this morning, I don't think will be particularly long. I don't know for sure. Uh, the, you know, my, my, it is my intent that it not be. But I want you to recognize again, I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. We are actually in Hebrews chapter 13, which is all the way at the other end of the book. We are nearing the end of our study of the book of Hebrews, at least in uh, pages we are, meaning we're in the last page of that book. But I want to go back to the beginning again this morning. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Our Father, would you exalt your Son in our presence this morning? Would you cause us to see? Would you open our eyes, Lord? Would you open our ears? Would you open our hearts? Would you cause us to see how great a salvation we have? And if there's some here this morning who do not have this salvation, that they would understand, maybe for the first time in their life, that they would understand that this is not a religious effort, that this is about your desire to love them and to rescue them. Be honored, Father. Be glorified in this time. Help us, help us, please. For Jesus' sake, in Jesus' name, amen. If you go back into your Bible, if you go back into the Old Testament, for many, many years, for many, many years, God spoke through men that he chose to speak through to express his desire to rescue mankind. He spoke continually. It starts with the seed. When he very first speaks to Adam and Eve, he starts with a promise of a seed. He starts with a promise, listen, you have made very bad choices. And because of the choices that you've made, you have separated us from each other. But it is my strong desire to promise you that I will make a way that I will be able to be just and be able to justify you at the same time. What a tremendous truth this is. And Adam understands this to some degree, to some degree, to such a degree that he preaches it to his children. And, and, and Abel understands it, and Seth understands it. And so much so does, does Adam understand that God is going to bring life out of the death that they have caused, that he names his wife after this. He names her Eve, the mother of all living. This is a wonderful thing. This is a great truth. We, we mankind, and again, what's interesting is God created us free will beings. He gave us free will. He said, I want your life to be like this, and I am willing to make your life wonderful, and I want you to live with me. But the choice, listen to me, the, and it is today, the choice is all yours. The consequences of the wrong, you know, I remember years ago f- feeling this way as I was uh, beginning to understand the choice is yours. Make a good choice. The choice is yours. Make a good choice. God so loves us that he says to us, okay, you've made a bad choice. You've made a bad choice. And now you must be rescued from your bad choice. The problem is you're incapable of rescuing yourself from your bad choice. But I will rescue you. Yes? 
So for years he spoke of the Messiah, the Christ, this promised one, the seed, the one that was going to come and rescue us from our bad choice. But he hath in these last days spoken us not by the prophets telling us about the Son. He has in these last days spoken to us through his Son himself. And our Lord Jesus has come. When you go and you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you have a red letter edition, and you just hear the words of God the Son, the words out of His mouth as He promises to, listen, not only to rescue those that would be rescued, but but to tell those who would stand in the way, get out of my way. Get out of my way. Let me help these people. And the religious authority saying, oh, you have to do it like this and you have to do it like that. And he said, I care nothing for your religious authority. I care nothing for your thoughts concerning this. This is not what my father was saying. This is not what my father meant. You have taken my father's word and you have perverted it for your own advantage. And I want nothing to do with this. I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. Get out of my way. I'm going to do this. And they they rejected him. And they murdered him. And they did so, as we looked at together last week, they did so without the camp. They took him outside of Jerusalem so that he would be seen by all the world to have nothing to do with their religion. And praise God, Jesus has nothing to do with their religion. Amen? Now, God gave them these pictures, these images that would picture the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but they had turned them into their religion. And has not the church done the same thing? Has not the church all over the world taken the truth and turned it into such a weird form of religion from place to place that people believe that there's actually an advantage to coming into a building like this as if the coming into the building or the, or the, or the taking of the Lord's Supper or going into baptism as if something in one of those things or all of those things or us doing those things together would somehow make you ready for heaven. But it's only the blood that will make you ready for heaven. It's only the blood. It's only the blood. God's rescue of you is what matters. Now, of course, we would assemble together. Of course, we would gather a whole bunch of us wanting to gather together and worship our Lord Jesus Christ and grow together in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, we would do that, but never to be justified, never for our selfish purposes. You know, I really believe, I mean this, I believe there are people here this morning who have been here for a lot of years who believe that what I'm doing is um, using this opportunity, my ability to stand in front of you and speak to persuade you to do something I want you to do or something the church needs you to do, and I'm the spokesman to try to get that accomplished. I want nothing like that. I simply want you to see that Jesus loves you, that he wants to rescue you. He wants to change you from the inside out. If you're not being changed at the heart level, then you're being robbed of what God wants for you. This is not, what's the word, a a Baptist political correct speech. We need to see what God says. And what it says here, what it says right here, I highlighted in in these first couple of verses, his son, his son. His son. This book, the book of Hebrews, his son. You should put put these two things on your refrigerator. His son, Jesus, by himself. That's it. That's what you need. You need Jesus by himself. That's what you need. It's all you need. It's all you need. If, if, if If you and everything else in the universe were on one side, and his son were on the other side, I would simply walk across the line and say, I just want to be over here. And by the way, that's what we're going to see in the message this morning. They, 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 they rejected him. 
And they crucified him outside of Jerusalem. And, and, and the writer of Hebrews, the, the Holy Spirit is, is convincing, I believe, Paul to, to make it clear to them, say this, just, just leave then. Just leave. You are better off with Jesus, just you and Jesus, than you and a million other people, or a billion other people, or seven billion other people. And listen, and listen, we're talking about practical applications of you just standing with Jesus. Because it cost them a great deal to reject the temple, to reject the heritage of their parents. It cost them everything, their jobs, their livelihoods, their families. It cost them everything, and it doesn't matter because this is not our final place. This is not it. And I'd rather have Jesus, the hymn, you know, the hymn writer says clearly, I'd rather have Jesus than everything this world affords to give. Amen? Just Jesus. By himself purged our sins. Oh, how wonderful this is. I can't even imagine, I can't even imagine how many people today are bound in sin trying to get themselves out. And there are preachers and priests and men and women all over the country promising them that they will help them to get out of that. Well, I can't help you, I can't, I, except for pointing. That's all I can do. I cannot get you out of your sin. I cannot rescue you from your sin. I cannot do anything for you except for to point you to the one who by himself purged your sins. And if you don't have him, you have your sins. If you don't have Christ, you have your sins. And if you have your sins, nothing matters. But if you have Christ, nothing else matters. Now, let's just go to Hebrews 13 because we just got to look at Hebrews 13. But I want you to understand, again, God's heartbeat in all of this. He wants you to understand the greatness of your Savior. Hebrews chapter 13, just for the sake of reintroducing it. Verse 1, let brotherly love continue. 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, revealing to us how this is, re how this is possible or how, what it looks like. What does brotherly love look like? Hebrews 13, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. And then verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. How is it possible? Again, I know I sound like I'm repeating myself, but I, but I think I know how often I didn't hear something until I heard it. I don't know if that makes sense to you. It wasn't that it wasn't said a lot of times, but I didn't hear it until I heard it. And so I'll say it over and over and over again. How can brotherly love continue? How can I love you like I'm supposed to? And here's the answer. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because he doesn't change. If you didn't get it yesterday, he'll help you get it today. And if you don't get it today, tomorrow he'll try to help you get it again. Because it is his desire that you understand that the love of God in Christ is something he wants you to have. The ability to care about others is something he wants you to have. You can't produce it. He is going to do it in you. It's going to be humbling. It's very humbling. It's humbling to try and fail and try and fail and then double your efforts and fail again anyway. Has anybody, does anybody, does not everybody understand what I'm saying when I say that? Has, you know, when you're first awakened to sin and you no want to have it in your life, oh, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm so glad that God would love me and save me from that. I don't want to do that anymore at all. And I, and I promise you, boy, I tell you what, I made some promises to God. I promise you I'll never do that again. I pro you're going to be so glad you picked me on the team. Amen? Really, really. 
And I lived in Romans chapter 7 for a year after, as a young Christian. And I loved God. And I was so glad to be saved. And I, was, and I would sing tears running down my cheeks, singing the hymns, just rejoicing in how great God was. And yet the love of God in Christ was not being perfected in me because I wanted to be able to once and for all say, there, God, I've done it. And he said, as long as you feel that way, it'll never be done. Because you'll never stand in front of God and say, there, God, I've done it. By himself. He is the author, and He is the finisher. He, and He is everything in between. And, and if you ever really come to understand that, if you're really a new creature and you ever come to understand that, it will change absolutely everything. And you will no longer have to worry about what people think about you anymore because if they thought the worst thing in the world about you, they wouldn't even be close to write about how terrible you are. So why bother anyway? Amen? And instead of worrying about what people think about you, you start caring about what do they think about my God? Because I can't save them, but they need to know how great my God is because he can save them. And so instead of worrying about what's good for you, you start caring. about You care about God's glory and they're good. Instead of your glory and you're good. Amen? Me, 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 me. And God wants to rescue you from me and me from you. Amen? I just want to make a couple of points this morning. Last week, we looked at Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verses 8 through uh, uh, 14-ish, in light of Leviticus. And there's so much more that we could look at. About. We really have to just go back and study Leviticus, but we're not going to do that. But today I want to look at Hebrews chapter 13, verses 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14, just those verses. But I want to look at those in light of the book of Hebrews and how God has made points all the way through the book and these are the summing up points of those things. Just a couple of things. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 10. We have an altar. You know what's funny? I want you, I'm going to read, let me read this for just a moment. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sins are burned without the camp. And I just, I read that and I think to myself, every person that's about eight years old to 14 years old, your eyes just roll back in your head. What are they talking about? What is this altar we're eating at? What is this blood? What are they dragging these animals outside and burning them outside for? I care nothing for any of this and I don't blame you. But the, the, listen, none of that was meant to be anything but a picture. All of that was meant to clearly represent God's desire to rescue them from sin and how he was going to do that in the Christ. In other words, the promise of God has always been the same. Those that are saved in the Old Testament are saved by faith in the coming Christ. Amen? Those of us that are saved today are saved by faith in the Christ who has already come. Amen? Same Christ. They are looking forward to the coming of Christ. They believe that the Messiah is coming and that that Messiah is the one that's going to take away their sins. David does not trust in the blood of bulls and goats. He sings that he doesn't trust in the blood of bulls and goats. He sings that God has no interest in the sacrifices. And yet he goes all the time like he's supposed to, to the temple. Why? Because he gets to see the picture of the Christ that's coming of his Savior that he knows is his Savior, even though he doesn't even know what his name will be. We have so much better knowledge than that. We have the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. We have the perfect word of God. And we have, we have seen, historically, we have seen the Christ who has come to save us from our sins. Amen? 
So that's what's going on. Go back to verse 10. We have an altar. Now, this is a really important thing. Uh, there's so much I want to say, and I really, um, uh, you know what I do, just introduce it. How do we look at it? Hebrews 4, 14 through 15. Hebrews 4, 14 through 15. Listen to this. Seeing then, now we have an altar. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat. Hebrews 10, 13 is talking about an altar that brings about fellowship. That's the idea. We have an altar. We're allowed to eat with God. We can sit at the table with God because of the altar that we have. What a tremendous truth. Because of the altar that we have, I can sit at a table with God and have peace with God and enjoy a meal with God because of what Christ has done for me. And those in the temple, they can't. Because the offering of sin, they never got to eat it. Because that offering didn't take away their sin. It simply said, I know it's there. You know it's there. I'm going to tell you I'm going to rescue you from this. You're going to trust me for it. But there's no sense in eating this offering because it doesn't take away your sin. But Jesus does take away your sin. Now, I want you to, we have an altar. This is, this is the end. An altar for fellowship. But let's go back and see what happens before we get the altar for fellowship. Hebrews 4, 14 through 15. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. So we have a great high priest that is passed in the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like you and like we are, yet without sin. So what about our priest? We have a priest. That's the first thing. We have a priest. What about our priest? What about our priest? You know, it's interesting. You know the problem with Washington? You, you really know why? You know the problem with Washington? The people that are living in Washington have no idea what it's like to live where we live. They just live a different life. They just still live a different life. They don't have to live like we do. The laws that they, they don't have to live under the same laws that they make for us, largely. Do you understand what I'm saying? And all over the world, you know, uh, diplomatic immunity. All over the world, there are representatives of other nations in our country and representatives of our country and other nations, and they don't have to live by those laws. That's what's wrong. I, I promise you, if your representative had to go to work like you have to go to work, if he had to do everything that you have to do all the time, things would change in Washington. But they don't know. They don't even care. I don't mean to be unkind. I'm not being mean, not, not upset about it. If you were the person, you'd get used to it too, and eventually you'd stop caring, because that's how we are. But that's not how our Lord Jesus is. Amen. Amen? So we have a priest who does understand. Yes, we have a great high priest. Yay. We don't have a priest that doesn't understand what's going on. You say, life is hard, and Jesus says, I know it is. I know it is. My feet were dirty. I had sweat on my brow. I leaned on the well because I was tired. I wanted a drink of water because I was thirsty. I was rejected over and over again. I was in agony, and I wept. I stood over Jerusalem and said, oh, how many, for how many centuries have I wanted to gather you together before I ever even came to this earth? I know what you're going through, and I love you. Amen? That's our great high priest. That's our great high priest. When you go to your Lord Jesus Christ and you're in agony, he says, I understand what you're going through. I know, I understand the feelings that you have, and I am here to meet those, and I am here to help you. And praise God for that. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 18 and 19, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us, which hope we have as an anchor for the soul. We have a great high priest and we have an anchor of the soul. Listen, listen. Uh, what's a, there's a hymn that sings this, talks about this. Oh, my anchor holds. 
My anchor holds, right? Where's the anchor? It's within the veil. It's within the veil. And I can't be lost. I, can't, I cannot be lost. Why? Because my anchor holds. Amen? Anybody, anybody understand an anchor? Anybody understand how an anchor works? An anchor doesn't work exactly like, you, this, like most people think it does. It doesn't quite work the way most people... It doesn't just go down. There, there are no little uh, hooks underneath the ocean that the anchor goes down and hooks into, and then it unhooks and releases and comes up. It's not exactly how an anchor works. In fact, it is entirely possible for you to be in a storm and the anchor won't hold. It's possible that as you drop your anchor into the... If all the bottom of the ocean is just a sandy bottom and the, and the, and the current in the ocean is strong enough, the waves are strong enough, it just keeps pushing the... Uh, the ship, some anchors are, the way they work is they weigh enough to keep the ship from moving when they're down in the water. And then when they lift them back up and the ship can then move again. But we have an anchor, and this, is the, this, this passage is the way this anchor is being said. We have an anchor that is in the Holy of Holies, literally in the Holy of Holies. Our Lord Jesus Christ has gone in to sit down, amen, and he's not leaving. And our anchor holds. The cord, the cord between you and your anchor is your hope, your expectation. It is you trusting in Christ. What, what, the reason that you sometimes drift around is not because your anchor has lost its hold, but because you've lost sight of your hope. You don't realize that you can't lose your anchor and you can't lose your salvation, but because your perspective changes, your understanding changes, just because your circumstance changes and your faith is so very weak, you don't realize how gloriously kept you are. But he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Your anchor's not going anywhere. So we have a great high priest, and that great high priest who by his own blood has gone into the Holy of Holies, he is also your anchor, and because he is your anchor, you are kept. Because he's not going to fail. Not you. He's not going to fail. But I am very weak, and it's a good thing he's your Savior. If he is, if he's not, then he needs to be your Savior. Because I promise you, religious effort is not going to be enough. Then in Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. What a word. So listen, we have a high priest. Amen. We have an anchor in the Holy of Holies, and because of these things, Hebrews chapter 10 says, we now have boldness to go into the holiest of holies. Yes? So here's the thing. I don't even have to hang around out here. Now, I want you to picture your prayer time. Um, we, have, we, 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 we continue to have at our church more and more times of prayer. And when I say that, I mean times when people assemble at our church and, and spend time together in prayer. And I'm finding that those times of prayer are precious to those who assemble. Now, let me say this about assembling for prayer. It is the least well-attended thing we do. And it is probably the most important thing we do. But it's the least well-attended. People do not want to show up for corporate prayer. I don't believe that people spend much time in private prayer either. And it's the most wonderful place you could go, right? Uh, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. If I, listen, if I said to you, honestly, if we went back to the time of the Israelites and we went to where the tabernacle was and we walked near the temple, I mean, see the tabernacle, and you looked over and you saw that Shekinah glory over the Holy of Holies and you said, wow, what is that? And I said, 
As Gentiles, we can't even go into the beginning of the building. But we certainly couldn't go into the holy place. And nobody, not even the high priest, but once a year, can go into that holy of holy places. You'd say, so what's in that place? And that's the answer. That's where God dwells. Well, wouldn't it be nice if we could go in there? And here's the answer. You can go in there any day you want to. How many times do you go in there? How many times do you go in there? You can go to the Holy of Holies all day, every day if you want to. All day, every day. Try to go, try to, go to the White House. Try to go to Richmond. Try to go see the governor of Richmond. Try to get in. Go to the Oval Office. Spend, I mean, uh, forget, forget it. I was going to say something. <laughs> Pretend Reagan's president if you want to. <laughs> go to the Oval Office. Okay? You can't. You can't. But you can go to the Holy of Holies. Boldly. And that's not arrogantly. That's just confidently. I believe we enter the Holy of Holies on your knees. I believe we'll always enter the... When, when John, when John, the beloved, the beloved disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ, when he saw the glorified Christ in Revelation, he did what? He fell down at his feet as a dead man. This is a man who ate with Jesus, who hugged him, who spent a great deal of time with him. When he saw him in his glorified state, he fell down like a dead man. And Jesus had to touch him and say, it's okay, get up. It's okay, get up. So I don't believe you walk into the Holy of Holies like this. But well, you can go in boldly, and that doesn't mean arrogantly, but it means confidently. I can come in here because Jesus shed his blood. He is my anchor. He is the reason I can come in, but I can come in because of Jesus. And I can now spend all day in here with you if I want to. And I can talk to you about everything and anything. Amen? Amen? We have all of that. We have all of that. And then, and then, the last thing, you now have an altar where you can eat with God. So picture this. It starts with a high priest who gives you access. This high priest then becomes your anchor so that you cannot lose your access. This, and then he becomes the very blood that allows you to go boldly into the Holy of Holies. And lastly, he, he becomes the altar so you can now sit down at the table and eat with God and have fellowship with God all day, every day. Amen? I mean, what, what more could I preach than that, honestly? And here's the worst thing about what I just said, and that is the only bad thing about that is many of you really still believe that what I just said was religious talk. But it's not. None of the Old Testament was to do anything but picture the truth that God is now saying through his son clearly to all of us. And David believed in that. You go read the Psalms. Chris sends, you know, we have a lot of people that text each other each day with different verses. What a tremendous blessing. If you're not doing it, you should be involved in doing it. But Chris, every, most of the time, Chris sends a, a verse out of Psalms. And when he sends them, I think to myself, David lived a remarkable life of just being able to rejoice in how great God was, even though his life was not a great life. And I mean, and when I say he, David's life was not a great life, David messed his life up. But he still spent a great deal of time just rejoicing in God. Doesn't that give you hope? I mean, actual expectation. You say, I, I make a lot of mistakes in my life. Yeah, so did David. And then he picked up his guitar and played and sang to God and enjoyed fellowship with God. And not because, oh, look, God, I'm a pretty good king, so I get to sing songs to you. No, I have a Savior coming. I don't understand everything about it, but I know he's coming. And I'm rejoicing in that Savior. Well, I'm rejoicing in the Savior that came. I'm rejoicing in the Savior that ever liveth to make intercession for me. Amen? Are you? Well, here's the thing. If you are, you have an altar that you can go have fellowship with God. Now, that's verse 10. That's just verse 10. We have an altar where we have, they have no right. They can't have this. Anybody, listen, if you're living by religious effort, you cannot have fellowship with God. 
If you're living by your religious effort, you cannot sit down and eat with God. But if you have Jesus, you can sit down and eat with God. Verses 11 and 12, For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. I want you to go back one chapter to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. Circle that. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, and then circle this, despising the shame, and is set down on the, at the right hand of the throne of God. Did Jesus die a shameful death? Yes, he did. Did Jesus basically died, if he lived in America, he would have died the, uh, a death by a form of execution like the electric chair, execution like the electric chair, or being, um, uh, have poison inserted into his veins and killed. He died a criminal's death, and it was shameful, and it didn't bother him, and it didn't bother him. It didn't bother because Listen, because it was his life that saved us. Because when he laid down his life, and they could not take his life, he laid down his life, it doesn't matter that it's a shameful death. It doesn't matter. And by, Listen, this is important. This is, the, this, is the, this is the critical ending point of the book of Hebrews in your life. You have a great high priest pouring out a whole new quality of life into your life. Don't worry what anybody thinks. Don't worry about what anybody thinks. It doesn't matter what they think of you. Say, well, they despise our religion. They despise our little church. They despise this little band of people that we are. That's fine. That's fine. They despise Jesus too. They executed him in a criminal's death. They put, again, they took him outside the city to the place of the skull. They put him up on the hill with two terrible, terrible men. They let, it, they let a murderer go in his place. That's what the world does. That's the world that rejects our God. And I'm not, I have no, you know, it's really remarkable. We should so love the world just because God so loves the world. We should continue to so love the world. And the truth of the matter is, as John was saying in our Sunday school class, you get to the book of Revelation and God is saying to the world, stop, you've got to stop, you've got to stop. Look, it's almost time for me to close the door. You've got to stop living like this. And this, is, and this is our response. You read the book of Revelation, this is the response of mankind. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And this is God's answer. I'm going to have to show you in a minute. I'm going to have to show you in a minute. But I don't want to show you. I want to rescue you. Listen, I'm telling you, you have no idea. You, I don't care what your extended family is like or has done. I don't care what your neighbor is like or has done. Your co- It doesn't matter. God's, if they're breathing, God desires to save them. It is God's desire to rescue us. You say, but they're shaking their fist, and they are the book of Revelation, and God is literally shaking the earth. Shaking the earth and saying, as John said, he says it all the way back in Jeremiah, Oh, earth, 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 hear the voice of the Lord. I don't want to judge you. I don't want to condemn you. You must be rescued from yourself. Is the shame. 
Didn't bother him at all. By the way, we use the word despise in our English language today. We use the word despise. I, I've said this a number of times, but I don't know if you've all heard it, and even if you have, you might not understand. We use the word despise. Um, let me think how I could say this. Collards. Collards. Okay? Anybody know what collards are? Do you like collards? Raise your hand if you like collards. Good for you. Good for you. I don't. I don't. Despise would be, now, I'd be using the wrong word. It's just like the word hope. We use the wrong hope wrong. We use the, wrong, we use the word despise wrong. When, we say, when, we say we, when I say I despise collards, what I mean is this. I can't eat them. Okay? And, and I've had a lot of people, please don't come up to me after the service and say, if you, if you had my collards, you'd like them. All it's going to do is two things. Make me eat collards one more time and then make you mad at me afterwards. Okay? So... <laughs> Let's just skip it. It isn't you, it's collards, okay? I despise collards. I really like broccoli, okay? You might not like broccoli. I really like broccoli, okay? But I, now when I say I despise collards, I'm saying I loathe. Now that's a good word. That's an actual word. I loathe collards, okay? I want nothing to do with them. Now when we see, when we see that Jesus despised the shame, we think it means that he loathed the shame. It made him angry. It doesn't. The word despise simply means to think lightly of. I don't care. That doesn't matter to me. That doesn't matter to me. That's, right, right? Um, if you said to me, let, let's pick a sporting event because some of us understand that better. If you said to me, um, the Kansas City Royals are playing um, the Detroit Tigers, I would just despise that. What do I mean by that? I don't care. Do you care who wins? Nope. You're going to watch it? Nope. Don't care. Now, the Red Sox are going to play the Yankees. Changes everything, right? Because I really like the Red Sox, and I don't really loathe the Yankees anymore. That's only because Jesus has changed my heart, though, because I used to really loathe the Yankees, okay? So we're talking about a work of grace here, but that's the difference. Do you understand? So one, one game I just don't care about. The other actually bothers me, right? I mean, you know, you, you, can, watch a, you can watch a football game and, and not care, or you can watch a football game and really care, if you understand. And those of you who don't care about sports, you don't understand why we would care at all, and, and, that's, and, that, and that's fine. Sometimes I wonder why we care at all. I really, really do. But I don't care about shoes either, and I wonder why you do. So we, we each have our thing. But Jesus, listen, this is the thing about the shame, and this is really important to you. We're going to go without the camp and live with Jesus. And we're going to despise the shame. But what does it mean? Oh, we're going to be really angry about the shame. <clears throat> we're really be bothered by those people who think we're, we're nothing. It's not what it means at all. I just don't care. I understand that you think we're nobody. I understand that you think that our religion is weird or strange or that we have a rabbit's foot when we trust in Jesus. I understand that. It doesn't bother me because Jesus is great. Jesus is wonderful. And if you knew him, you wouldn't feel this way at all. I'm sorry. Listen, I am truly sorry that Baptists have done things in our life that would hinder people from knowing how great Jesus is. I'm truly sorry that that's true. But Jesus is still great. Baptists, not so much. But Jesus is still great. Amen? That's the wonderful thing. So when we look at these last couple of verses, verses 13 and 14, understand that when you see what he says in verses, uh, in verses 11 and 12, that he suffered without the gate. He went out. Listen. Jesus said, it doesn't matter where you hang me on a cross because I'm giving my life anyway. Amen? You understand? You could do it in the garbage dump. 
That's fine with me. It'll be holy ground when I give up my life. Amen? Do you understand that? So listen, do not ever think that your form of worship of God is ever going to make people think highly of you. It's not going to. That's fine. Because Jesus is worthy. Honestly, that's it. It has nothing to do with being a Baptist. It has nothing to do with using a King James Bible. It has everything to do with how great Jesus himself is. And if Jesus is not that great for you, you need to quit and go away. And I wouldn't choose that. Or find out what's wrong with you that Jesus is not that great to you. Because Jesus is that great a Savior. And if he's not, then you're just going through religious effort, and that's not what he wants for you. That's not what he wants for you. you. He wants you to be able to come to a place of understanding, yes, I know you think I'm weird. Yes, I know you think I'm crazy. That's okay. I still love you. I understand that you don't understand, and that's okay. And I love you, and God loves you. And oh, he wants you to know how great the Lord Jesus is, but I promise you, Jesus is wonderful. And I'm telling you, Jesus is wonderful. So, let us go forth. Let us go forth. Let us go forth, verse 13. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp. What's it say? What's it say? What's it say? Bearing what? His reproach. What does that mean? They're going to feel about us like they felt about him. Yes? That's hard, isn't it? Go, listen, leave the building this morning, get in your car, go to the restaurant, tell your waitress, please, if, if you go to a restaurant, tip your waitress or waiter. Tip them well. If you're going to leave them a track, from our church, tip them very well, please, okay? This is how they make their living. This is how they make their living. They need the money. Don't go there and give them a track and think you gave them a tip. You didn't. Give them money. They need the money. Do you understand? It's important that you realize how they make their living. So anyway, but you go there, then you say, well, we're just these strange Christians that show up in ties and stuff like that. Maybe you are. Do you understand that? Maybe you are. How would they know any different until they see the love of Christ in you? Do you understand? Do you think they care what Bible you use? Do you think what they care what our dress code is? They don't care about it. They don't even understand that that would even matter at all. But I'll tell you what, if they see love, if they see caring, genuine caring, not it's time, the meal's over, I've said nothing to you the whole time, but it's now time to do my religious duty and give you some track. Don't bother. Don't bother. That's what they already see all the time. What they need to see is somebody that cares for them. Hi, Karen. Thank you. Karen, could I get some more water? Talk to them. They're very real people, and God loves them. But I use it as an example because this is meant to be all the days of our life. And we walk out of the building, and because we're despised when we leave the property, we want nothing to do with being despised. You know, Mrs. Uh, uh, Mrs. Mongold, I, I, she probably didn't say this. She's the one that I heard say it many, many years ago. Everybody wants, to be, everybody wants to be thought as a servant of God until somebody treats them like a servant. But we are servants. This is not our home, guys. This is not, if you were on duty in a foreign country right now, you would understand this is not my home. I will do what I was sent here to do. I will do it well. I will do it honorably. I will try to uh, give glory to the nation that sent me here. I will try to help the people whether they want me to or not. And then I will go home when it's done. Well, praise God, that's what's happening in your life. Amen? If you're a servant of the king, then we're going to a kingdom. And I and praise God, this ain't it. Amen? It's not going to be on this earth. And that's okay. That's okay. But the people on this earth need our king. Right? They need our king, and they need to want to go to his kingdom themselves. 
There's a whole bunch of them. It's time. It's, we need to be done. I'm, I'm going to have to pick up here next week. But I want you to recognize, so let us go forth. Verse, chapter 4 has led us twice. Chapter 6, let us. Chapter 10, let us. Chapter 13, let us. Chapter 13 again, let us. God says, well, by the way, what's interesting is there's a spot in chapter 10, having, 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 let us, let us, let us. But I realize now it's through the whole book. Because of this, because we have an altar where I can have fellowship with God. We have an altar where I can have fellowship with God. Let's go out and be despised. Isn't that amazing? Think about that as the message. And yet, that is the message. We have an altar where I can sit down and eat with God all day, every day. Amen? Wonderful fellowship with God. Let's go outside and be despised. Say, I don't want to do that. You can't live the Christian life. You can't live the Christian life. You can't. It doesn't matter how they feel about us. It doesn't matter if we bear his reproach. He is worthy of that reproach. And listen, they need to be able to throw rocks at you and for you to put them in your pocket and not throw them back at them. The world needs to see love. I promise you it does. I promise you it does. And if they see love in you, I promise you eventually they'll ask you why. And if it's not you that they ask, they'll ask somebody else who will come along later. And they'll say, you're like the third person in my entire life that I threw rocks at who put them in their pocket and didn't throw them back at me. What is it about you people? And the answer is Jesus. That's what it is about us people. It's nothing about us people at all. Amen. It has everything to do with what? The Son who by himself purged our sins.